Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. I am Dr. Nicole Lowe, and with me is Dr. Stephanie Edmonds. We are both PhD-prepared nurses and the founders of Woman-Centered Health. Join us as we talk with health professionals and researchers who can help you improve your communication with patients about sexual and reproductive health. Please visit our website to learn more and connect with us on social media by going to www.womancenteredhealth.com. and welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. Today we're speaking with Jonathan Garland. Jonathan, a facilitator and business trainer who is passionate about improving interpersonal communication and collaboration through the use of experiential workshops based on the foundations of applied improvisation. He has facilitated several improv classes with medical students and professionals at Washington University and Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri. These courses are designed to improve client and patient outcomes and take better care of each other as healthcare professionals. But before we get into the interview, we want to make our monthly pitch to become a patron of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. You can do this by going to www.patreon.com WCH, where you can find our lovely show notes, or you can find more about becoming a patron on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. Also, if you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues and give us a five-star review on iTunes. We're also always looking for new guests, so if you have someone that you think would be perfect to be on our podcast, feel free to go on our website and contact us and let us know who you'd like us to interview. So hi, John. Thanks so much for being a guest on our podcast today. So first, could you provide a little bit of details about your background? Sure. Well, I have uh, 28 years of uh, sales and management experience, both in the telecommunications and mortgage business. My sales experience was primarily phone sales. So I was selling telecommunications equipment over the phone. I've also worked a number of years in the service industry as a server and a bartender. Most recently, I joined a financial services company as a business trainer. And I truly feel this is the career I never knew I wanted. I mean, I'm really well suited to this. And probably for the first time in my life, I, I now have a true joy of waking up each day, uh, really anticipating what, what new challenges are, are, uh, I'm going to face on a daily basis. So I'm really excited to be here, even though we're in some strange, <laughs> definitely some strange times. Over the past four years, I've been actively involved in the improvisation scene here in St. Louis. This is, this is a place where I get to discover that sense of joy and wonder that was so present when we were children. And I get to play with uh, like-minded adults, which is a lot of fun. This love of improv and this joy of performing have all been key, I believe, in my journey to become a business facilitator and a workshop leader, which has also led me to be on your podcast today. So I thank you for that. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you are doing what you love. I know that Nicole and I, that's one of the reasons we started this podcast is to give the clinicians who listen to our, our podcast some joy back in to their work that can tend to be grueling and to find that connection with patients again, which is sometimes difficult with all the things we have going on. So I'm glad that you found that for you. Yeah. So the other question we always ask our guests is what 
informs your perspective. So in other words, why do you do what you do and what is most valuable to you? You know, I really enjoy making meaningful connections with people. So in order for me to do that, communication is paramount. So I love communicating, which for me, again, is the actual, the art of active listening. So for me, that's the way that I communicate best with people. And I would think if you question someone about, like, if I met someone for the first time, and you ask them, what was that like meeting John Garland? They might say that he was really attentive. He really listened to what I had to say or was really interested in my opinion. And that's a true feeling. That's the, that's the thing that I really want to get across. And I do that by listening. Then I talk. I think there's a nice saying that says we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak. And I do believe that. So my listening to understand someone instead of listening to respond to someone, which is a key difference. And that's really important to me. You are speaking our language. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of truth to what you just said. (laughs) All right. So today we are talking about something a bit non-traditional. And for our listeners who might already be like, wait, what are we talking about? Improv as it relates to medical field. You may have some questions about the relevancy, and I promise so did I. But after talking to John in our screener call, I definitely was converted that this is really critical to how we communicate with our patients. And so, again, like I said, today we're kind of talking about the art of communication more broadly. So it might not be specific to one field, but really, obviously, what's so integral to women-centered health, which is this piece of communication. Okay, so first, let's lay a little groundwork. What is improv? Good question. A lot of times when I say that I'm involved in improv, a lot of people will think it's uh, improv is comedy or stand-up comedy. Okay, that is what improv is not. (laughs) So there is stand-up comedy, completely separate genre, then there's improv. And improv is a team-based activity. Or, or a scene-based activity. So it's you and another person or you and a group of people interacting together. And you have a general form. There's a practice, there's a, there's a framework to improvisation, but you kind of key on suggestions. So an audience member might provide a suggestion, like a place or maybe a relationship, and then the two improvers will just start making stuff up based on that relationship. And it's a give and take. So there's lots of funny, there's lots of humor in improv. But when we perform, we don't perform to be funny, right? So there's one thing to think, oh, I'm going to think of something clever to say. If you're in that mindset, that means you're too much in your head and you're not actually listening to what your scene partner is saying. So you're going to miss something. You might miss a key clue. So you really have to listen to respond to your partner. There are basically two types of improv. There are two forms. There's a short form improv and a long form. Short form improv is more of like the comedy that you might see on the show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, so many of your listeners may be familiar with that, with that program. Great, funny comedians. But those types of games and exercises are part of the short form variety. They're quick games, quick exercises. They last two, maybe three minutes and they're over and you move on to something else. And that's the kind of improv that I'm most familiar with. Long form improv is more a narrative form 
which means you could have two or three people in a scene. They get an idea from the audience, and then they just kind of, you know, gradually and organically build this scene over perhaps 20, 25 minutes. So it's not a quick hit, fun game stuff. There can be humor in it, but it's just a, a separate form of improv. So short form is where my heart is, what I love. And at the key of all of improv is listening. And you have to be able to listen, which means you have to be out of your head and you can't have an agenda of what you might think this scene is going to go or what this person might say. You just have to respond to actually what was said. And that type of listening and communication is uh, key to why I think we're here today. Let's then bring in how improv is relative to clinicians. So why should clinicians care about improv? Well, I believe the the skills related uh, to improv can certainly help improve the communication skills of clinicians. And this in turn improves your overall patient outcomes. So when uh, client client and patient health improves, then their satisfaction with their care improves. So these soft skills also improve the interpersonal relationship with our colleagues as well. So when healthcare professionals take better care of each other, then they'll have more satisfaction with their jobs and experience less burnout as a result. So it's a two-pronged advantage. One, improving communication, improving a, a client relationship, as well as your colleagues, your interpersonal relationships with your own colleagues as you work as a team together. Yeah, and thanks for bringing in that part about the colleagues, because in our podcast, we really focus on the patient. But I think that's a really important relationship to bring into this is how we communicate with each other on a team, because that's going to help our patient, but also ourselves. So yeah, thanks for bringing that in. You're welcome. I was going to say thank you for the same thing. Yeah, eloquently bringing in and really summing up the whole argument as to why communication is important. And then, yeah, bringing in that piece about providers, provider to provider. Because I think, Steph, we can both admit that's not something that we really have focused on in our podcast. I think maybe the first time we talked about that was with the humor with Karen Buxman. I don't know. So thank you for bringing that in. Okay, so... In a previous conversation, and I think you hit on some of these before when you were talking about what is improv, you had mentioned five key factors of improv. Can you discuss these with us? Sure. So the five key factors of improv are, uh, I'm going to, I'll list all five of them and I'll kind of go into a little bit of detail for each one. So one is getting out of your head, being present, actively listening. Yes, and, and making others look good. So in turn, number one is getting out of your head. And what that basically means is that you need to turn off your inner sensor, your inner critic in your head that exists in all of our heads, right? So especially, this happens with everyone, but I find especially with healthcare professionals, you might feel that you, you have some insecurity or like, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm afraid of making a mistake. So you're kind of rigid in your head, like, okay, I have to do this from A to Z. I cannot deviate because I don't want to make an error. And that can lead it the way you interact with your patient. And we all have that with our critic, like we're not good enough. Or at any moment, 
I'm going to be discovered for the fraud that I know that I am. <laughs> and we all have that. So getting out of your head is a key component at the very, very beginning. Then uh, be present. Okay, being fully present is key to making meaningful connections. So when we're not fully present or not fully engaged, that means we're not connecting with the other person. This is very easy to visualize in a busy setting. Maybe you're a nurse in an exam room and you have lots of going on. Envision this in a emergency room setting. So you've got a patient, they're in the room, you're on the screen, you're asking screening questions, you have your back turned to the patient, you have a phone that's beeping, you know, there's lots of things that are happening and you're not making a connection with the patient. And that patient may be scared, they may have fears and they don't understand how busy you are. So if you're in your head thinking about, oh, I have three other rooms I have to go to, you're not engaged and you're not present. So being present is really important. Being present allows you to uh, take on step three, which is actively listen. When you're actually present, you can then actively listen to take in the other, uh, the other person completely. And when you take in someone completely, it's not just listening to the words that they say, but also keying in on the nonverbal cues. So you're looking at someone, you're looking them in the eye, you're making that connection, you're nodding, you're acknowledging what they've said, and you look at their body language. So you can acknowledge what they're not saying. Maybe they're rigid and you can tell like they look like they're afraid or you know they look like they're really angry at something. And this can help you better communicate with them. That brings us to step four, which is yes and. Okay, yes and is a basic tenant of improv. It is basically saying that when someone presents something to you, makes a statement or shares an idea, you say yes, which means you accept what is presented to you and you add to it. Put another way, uh, yes and is acceptance of someone else's idea and the ability to find value or build upon what they offered you. So yes and isn't about I agree with you. It's like the statement you make, I'm not necessarily agreeing with you, but I'm accepting that what you've presented to me is your reality and I'm going to build on it. And that leads to more meaningful conversations and we can actually build an idea share. And then finally, the fifth factor is making others look good. So maintaining the integrity of others and, and they're both working with our colleagues and our patients is, is critical. I mean, who doesn't want to be on a team where everyone feels valued? So when you make others look good, just as we do on a stage in an improv performance, my goal isn't to make myself look funny or look good, but my goal would be to make my scene partner look good. And my scene partner has that same goal for me. That means we have each other's back. That is directly transferable into the workplace. So when you're working with your colleagues, making sure they look good to their patients and vice versa. That is a true concept of teamwork. I think that all of these are gold. And honestly, you could probably have a podcast on each one individually and how to do that. I just have like a, a couple points I just want to make. And one of them is I also think that a lot of what you said, these different points, like making others look good, actively listening, being present, the yes and I feel like those are also traits of a leader. And so I think that part of this also 
can just help you become a better leader in your profession as well if you can begin to work on these things. I especially love the get out of your head. This really makes me think about all of our podcasts with like unconscious bias, shame. We should probably have one just on imposter syndrome because I think that definitely exists right there. So I think you're saying a lot. We do need to definitely talk about my favorite one, which is yes and. And if I'm correct, this would be in place of saying things like yes, but, right? Right, Nicole. I mean, that's a good point. Yes, but when you say that, that's a that's a blocker, right? That blocks actually a free form of ideas, which means that you don't value the other person's opinion. You know, they've just said something or shared something, but you have your own agenda and that's the most important thing. So I didn't acknowledge what you said. I'm going to butt it and give you my opinion. Really good one. Yeah, I think this is something that I... I'm also going to try and just, if I had to pick one, I really want to work on that one. I also want my husband to work on that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how that goes. Yeah, I will. (laughs) Because I just think that one is just like so fundamental. And like you said, it it blocks, right? So the second, like I think of any time I've been in a discussion, the second that someone says, yeah, but it's so, it just like negates everything that came before that. And I just try to think of like how different a conversation could go or a group dynamics or anything if you said yes and and how simple is that right (laughs) yeah the concept is simple in practice it takes a little work (laughs) (laughs) yes simple concept (laughs) i'm just thinking about you know i think what you said about being a leader is really a good perspective on this and thinking, you know, right now with all the COVID-19 things that working in the hospital and being parts of these like collaborations that you're not used to, I think all of these are really critical in communicating in this kind of time of crisis and bringing people together because it's super stressful and you can slip into sort of bad habits with communication. So I will definitely be exercising these and these next months. (laughs) (laughs) Good. So can you talk a little bit about what are some exercises that we as clinicians can do to work on these five factors? Sure. So in an improv setting, you know, on a stage and you're in person and you're looking at each other and you can see each other, it's one thing. Lots of of exercises. As we're on the uh, podcast, so conceptually, I think to best understand some of these exercises, the first one I would describe is a, an exercise called mirroring. And your listeners may be familiar with this, but basically what mirroring is, is you have one other person in front of you, you're facing each other, and this is a nonverbal exercise. And then you just mirror the other person. So if you have two people facing each other, you'll pick one person to be the leader, one to be the follower. And then you can switch the roles. But the leader gently makes a a small movement. Maybe they move their right hand up into the air. Well, then the follower moves their left hand up into the air. I mean, it's an exact mirror uh, movement of the person in front of them. So they're just making short movements and the follower follows along just a mirror as best they can. It's nonverbal, so there's no talking. Uh, Invariably, you will start laughing and that's okay because it's it's it seems awkward but you it requires you to really be present 
in that moment. You can't think of anything else. You are completely connected with that other person. You're making eye contact. You're making note of the movements. You're making the movements. Um, so mirroring is, is a great way to start. Another exercise is called word at a time story. Now this word at a time story kind of builds upon that concept of yes and. Okay, and what that means is you are acknowledging what was just said, you've accepted it, and you're building on it. In the most simple sense, word at a time story is you are building a story with another person or a group of people one word at a time. Each person can only speak one word at a time. So you'll find that in the, uh, as you practice this, even small words such as and or on or uh can all be very important. So even the smallest word has an importance in the overall context of a story. This is something you can do over the phone. You could do it on a WebEx session or a Zoom session. Uh, you could do it with, like I said, a group of people, or you could do it with just two people. And you just speak one word at a time. And what this does is it really takes you out where you accept that you can only listen to that word and key on it. You might have an idea where you think this story may go, but you have to respond to that word. And that word presented to you might mean that, oh, the story has to take a new direction, which means I have to be able to pivot, getting out of my head, and move it in a, a new direction. So word at a time story is really a nice one. Another listening exercise we could do is an exercise called repeat as a question. This is designed to enforce that listening to understand versus listening to respond again. So what repeat as a question is, is another two-person exercise where one person makes a statement. It could be a simple statement such as, I got some groceries delivered from the store yesterday. Okay, that's a statement. The other person will then pause just for a moment. And they're going to repeat that statement back as a question. And it might sound like this. So I hear you say that yesterday you got some groceries delivered to your home. And then you build on it. Then you make another statement. If I'm making sense, what that does is, again, it acknowledges that you have listened. You truly listened to that other person. You've truly understood what they've said. You've paused for a moment. You've actually repeated what they said back as a question so they know that you listen to them. And then you build on it by making a new statement. And then it just goes back and forth just like that. So repeat as a question is a, is a really awesome game. Well, I think even taking that out of a quote unquote game setting and even as that's something that you could just start doing too within your practice. Okay, so what I heard you say is X, Y, Z as a form to again, demonstrate that you're listening and that you got all the details. So I like that. Absolutely. Great point, Nicole. You can start doing that today. Yes. Yeah. I like the exercises too, is like, let's, if I'm not really comfortable with how to do that. So let me practice with someone I trust. And there isn't a lot of negative consequences. If I make a mistake, <laughs> I'm not making anyone angry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sometimes in my, in my workshops, when we do a mirroring exercise, it, it's so uh, unusual and it requires you to kind of be uh, a little close to each other 
and especially with people who don't know each other very well, there's a certain intimacy when you're looking, you know, looking at someone in the eyes and you're not speaking. And it can be uncomfortable, but that's another component of improv. It helps you to feel more comfortable with the uncomfortable. So when you're in a setting where, you know, oh, I don't really feel comfortable having these conversations with women on this particular subject. Improv exercises, when you go through this, it can help you be more comfortable in that. And just like, okay, I know that this is uncomfortable, but I'm going in and your patient will appreciate that. Well, and I definitely think this is relevant. We've touched on this in another podcast is when you have more seasoned veterans, providers, you're like, oh, you can't say anything to scare me or ruffle my feathers. But I think, especially as new providers, we talked about, I think it was in our LGBTQ mini series about, are you asking the right questions? And what questions are you asking? And I think what we found in that episode is that a lot of times we aren't asking the right questions, like asking questions like, you know, you can't just say, are you having sex? Okay, but who are you having sex with? What body parts are you having sex with? What are you calling those body parts? And I think when you get into sexual and reproductive health, you can get yourself maybe in some situations where maybe you're unaware that folks do that or whatever that might be. But you as a provider, like you have to get to the bottom of all of this so that you can provide the best care and do the right testing and whatever. And so I think we even talk about in that episode is practicing and interviewing colleagues so that you can ask those questions like, do you have a runny nose? You know, like they just roll off your tongue, like, do you have a runny nose? And so then you're also not communicating your own discomfort with this subject which is really important when you're trying to establish a safe space for your patients. You know, I'm glad that you brought that up, Nicole, the LGBTQ miniseries, because the mirroring also sort of reminded me of the guests talking about using the same, like mirroring the same language that the patient uses. So what are they calling that body part? That's what you should call it you know, to make them feel comfortable. So kind of the same thing, like mirroring that language back to them. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point, uh, Stephanie. It it reminds me of when I was doing telephone sales. Um, So it's very difficult without any, without any verbal cues, it's very difficult to know like, well, what is this person doing on the other side of the phone? So I'm listening and Hey, you know what? I'm in the Midwest and I'm speaking to someone in the deep South and they speak a little slower. So I would naturally slow down my tone to kind of mirror theirs. I don't try to inflect a twang or a certain dialect, but I just slow down my speech pattern to match theirs. Same thing if I was speaking to someone in the Northeast who might speak a little faster, I would increase my my delivery to kind of match, you know, or mirror that other person. Yeah. That's great. So, and I also liked how, so with these exercises, I think it's kind of timely right now. You, I think with the word at a time, you were saying that you could do this online using Zoom or whatever software you use. I think that a lot of the times right now with how medicine is going, (laughs) business in general, like we're having to do Zoom meetings and things like that. We can't meet face-to-face. So taking some time, if you want to work on these exercises, you know, that they can be done, not necessarily face-to-face. Yes, I agree. 
Well, and I, you know, Stephanie, I think you bring a good point up too, is even now there's just a huge shift to telehealth, which I think, you know, there's some discomfort among providers. And so thinking about this improv and maintaining professionalism in a new delivery format, and how do you actively listen and do these things via telehealth? Yeah, that's, those are all very good points. Yeah, that's that's where we find ourselves today. Yeah, for sure. Were there any other exercises that you wanted to talk about or... Well, I'd like to actually pose a challenge um, to um, Stephanie and Nicole yourselves, as well as the listeners. And this is, again, built on uh, the concept of yes and, because we determined that is really a, a key. And if you can change your, your thought processes to when you're interacting with others, whether it's in a group meeting and you're sharing ideas or you're communicating with your spouse. So my, my challenge is to pick someone. Pick someone in your daily life, and since we're not going outside, it's probably going to be your significant other. <laughs> and uh, just say, my six-year-old. <laughs> it could work. Pick someone and say yes and to everything they say. Now, obviously, within reason, you can't yes and everything. But if you consciously make a point to kind of go over the top when that someone says something, makes a statement, or asks a question, yes, and you build on it. You know, you could turn it into, you know, you could steer them in a new direction with your what you're adding, but you're not shutting down what they said. So for one full day, you are not allowed to say the word but. <laughs> it's yes and and then kind of check in with yourself after that day and make some notations of well, what did I feel today? Did it lead to interesting conversations when I yes and? Especially if you did that with a six-year-old, that could be very interesting and, and, and funny. I was just thinking that this could be quite, I don't want to call it manipulation, even though it probably is. Like, I could see this being fabulous with my five, well, four and a half-year-old being like, yes, and then we can do this. I could see this being a good thing with her and like her enjoying yes and. Yes. You know how young children, uh, when they go through certain stages, they get to know and they love saying no, 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 no. So we just keep yes ending them and then they become, you know, it'll just be part of their normal, normal frame of mind. They'll start yes ending you. And I like this. And then also the turn on this too is, is there also then a bit of personal enrichment with this? Like if I make this conscious effort to say yes, and then we can do this and have fun or whatever. You know, I could also see there being a reward for myself in it as well. Like her, her being very receptive of this, but then maybe me also having more awareness with her doing, being more actively engaged and present with her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There are all sorts of new directions. You could take a conversation with that and uh, things that you wouldn't ordinarily experience. So if you, you know, shut it down, there it is, it's over. But with the SAN, there are possibilities that you haven't even thought about. Yeah, but with my husband, he's talking about buying a new truck. So I feel the danger of me being like, yes, and then we'll get a sunroof. Well, like, <laughs> I could see that going down a dark hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good for him, but yeah. That's right. That was a caveat within reason. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and then we'll be poor. <laughs> okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> right. Is that a, is that a doable? <laughs> yeah. You can do that. 
Yes, and we'll be eating ramen noodles for the next few months. <laughs> ah, I'll let you know how this all goes with each one of them. <laughs> That's the challenge before you. Now, John, I see your next podcast that you could be on are parenting and relationships. <laughs> Marriage counseling. <laughs> How two words can transform your life. Yeah, two you words in a comma. <laughs> we came up with a title for your book. Yeah. The next thing I need to do is write a book. I was actually thinking you could even have an app on your phone that Siri said, like, beeped at you if you said the word but. <laughs> 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 like some negative reinforcement. Yeah, like, a little shock. Oh, oh. Yeah, really. So, John, I think maybe you have highlighted or have said this already, but just, you know, maybe to reiterate this. So then if you had to pick one factor of the five that we discussed, what do you think is most relevant for clinicians to embrace in their practice and, and what would it be and why? Well, I believe that, and we did discuss it, it's, it's really being present. I think that is key because when we're not present, we can't truly connect with with others. If If we... Uh, if we can't or we don't connect, then we're not in a position to actively listen, which means we're not in our best space to use the yes and uh, communication technique. And then we'll tend to enforce our own agendas. So these all kind of snowball together. So I think all of these factors are interrelated, but they really begin with being present in the moment. So if you can, can you know, we have so many distractions in life uh, and we have distractions now. But this is really a time I think we should slow down. And if we could slow down our interactions, whether it's between our, our family members or your patients, just slow it down and just like I'm right here right now. It's just the two of us or the three of us or whatever it is and be present. I think that is the most important factor. Well, I was just going to maybe unpack that a little bit. Um, I know that you aren't a clinician, but, you know, just kind of talking this out on how to pragmatically be more present than, because I know, like, for example, one of the issues that we all, I think, see, even when we're patients, is this computer that the clinician is typing away at. You know, so thinking about how you can sort of remove yourself from the screen a little bit. Are there any other things that you can think of like that? In today's, uh, the environment that we find today? Yeah. Yeah, limiting your, your screen time because we're, we're so, you know, we're, you know, it's all about screen time now, it seems like. You know, in, in your own homes, you know, making sure you're having dinner, I mean, um, together. Like, for example, I'm using my own situation, as an example, uh, I work downstairs in the basement. This is my little space. My wife is working upstairs in the living room, kitchen living room. And my uh, oldest daughter, she's doing distance learning at her school. So she's up, uh, you know, in her room doing her thing. So throughout the day, we'll see each other coming and going, hey, hi, hi, hi. You know, but these aren't really meaningful connections. And then at some point at the end of the day, it's like, okay, we end our day. And we make sure that we, we eat dinner together and we now connect, right? And we'll do so without, you know, we don't have a TV on. We're just connecting and talking and sharing about our day. And that seems to be a nice mix for us right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think we kind of joke right now, now that everybody's sort of working at home, like you're 
spouses, your or your children, or your coworkers, and you know <laughs> all the things that come with that. But I think you know when you are at work, or if you do work, you know, like in a clinical setting, making sure that you do connect with colleagues at a certain point throughout the day, like and versus just coming and going and seeing them and doing specific tasks. I think you can kind of think about how what's a good way to connect. And I know that was one of the topics that Karen Buxman talked about on our humor podcast is like how we can use humor to make connections with colleagues in that way or family members or or whoever. And another point I wanted to loop into, and we talked about this in another podcast is a lot of times as providers, my husband does this, I've had lots of conversations with him about this as well Is we let all the stressors we've had with previous patients or previous situations, and we bring that into the room into the next person's room, or maybe we've had bad experiences with this patient before. And so before you even see them, you're like, Oh, not them again. And really, before you even go into that room, just pausing outside the door, taking a breath, and just reminding yourself that this is a new encounter, this is a new patient, a new day, and just trying to let all the other stuff go. I know it can be difficult, obviously easier said than done, but I think it definitely can help you be more present if you can just check in with yourself and, you know, leave it at the door. Right. And, and just remove that, uh, that judgment. So being mindful and being in the present requires you to defend that judgment and look at each interaction as something fresh, as you said, Nicole. Good point. Yeah. We've mentioned this episode a couple times already, but I think often when we think of improv, like you previously mentioned, we kind of think of comedy or being funny which I think you've made the case that improv is more than that. But interestingly, like we said in, a po- in our podcast with Karen Buxman, who is a neurohumorist, we talk about humor and clinical practice. And she too said it isn't about being funny, but about appreciating humor and becoming a student of humor to enhance your life and clinical practice. So can you talk about in what ways do you think becoming a student of improv or acting more broadly can enhance someone's clinical experience? Sure. I think that if you act or become a student of improv and you use that approach, it will allow you to be more flexible. So it allow you to be more flexible and present in the moment so that you could pivot or adjust on the fly. So you're better connected to the person because you're actively listening, you're keyed in on the both the verbal and the nonverbal cues of what they're presenting to you. And this is a, I think this will lead to more effective communication. I've found uh, personally, that over the course of time I've been involved with improv, I can, uh, I feel more comfortable in one-on-one settings or with multiple people, uh, with people that I don't even know, which in the past would kind of be uncomfortable. It's like, well, I don't really know these people. I don't really know what to say. So, but it allows you to, again, be more comfortable with the uncomfortable. It allows you to be in a mindset that you can embrace this, hey, I might be having a uncomfortable conversation. It allows you to empathize with your your patient or someone else and feel like, okay, they may be uncomfortable with this conversation as well. And you're more, you're better able to, to make that connection with them, ask the right question and steer the conversation appropriately. Another benefit I think is practicing improv will lead to a natural laughter, which is therapeutic. So when you have 
you know, some experience with it, it's easier to embrace the humor or see the humor in certain situations. Obviously, you want it to be appropriate and therapeutic in a clinical setting, but you know, it's not about, again, being funny or having to say something or thinking like, oh, I need to be clever. It's just that when you get out of your head, you're able to see, uh, see funny and embrace it, to see the humor in things, and that'll come out. It's contagious. And the person you're interacting with will feel it. And again, it's therapeutic to both of you. And it is much needed in the world today. You know, it's interesting. I was kind of thinking about how it's just by chance. I was reading two different books. And then you kind of came into the picture. But all three had to do with improv. And it's not ever something that I knew anything about or ever considered even learning about but the first book was bossy pants by tina fey so she that's what she did before she was on snl and then i listened to uh, it was an audiobook i listened to oh like sorry i'm late i didn't want to come it's like this memoir of this woman who did a year like she's a shy introvert and then she did like a year where she pushed herself to do different things and one of the things that she did was improv which is something like I think that as most introverts like makes your skin crawl just thinking about it but she talked about really a lot of the similar benefits that she got out of taking an improv class like being more comfortable in all situations communicating with people which is what something she had trouble with as an introvert and then just you know meeting friends and and laughing with them and having stories with them and and bonds yeah and this is a connection i didn't really make so john had sent us a few articles before the recording and i had highlighted a couple spaces and and the one thing i didn't connect was i mean i will admit i didn't really see theater and science or like the medical field having much for overlap. But one sentence in here was, theater also allowed for an experience in which I could step into the life of a character and see the world from their perspective. And this really resonated with me because I think about empathy and how important that can be. And really that requires us to put our feet or you know put ourselves in someone else's shoes and where they're coming from. And then also with this layer of, you know, we had just recorded an episode on maternal mortality and understanding social determinants of health and all these things and really how important it is for providers to be able to, yeah, get out of your head and put yourself in someone else's shoes and see where they're coming from. And I I never really connected how theater and acting is doing just that, right? Like you're acting as a total entity other than yourselves and and creating an empathy for another character, quote unquote character, right? Not calling patients characters, but just having that ability to create empathy and put yourself actively in someone else's shoes just really, really resonated with me. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So then speaking of all this and maybe folks want to learn more, where can people go to become students of improv or improve their communication more broadly? Do you have some resources? Well, for listeners, because I don't know where everyone is, I would at first, I'd suggest that you reach out and search for local improv groups. How do you do it? You could just Google and search local improv in you know your city. So you could do it that way. You could look for local theater groups 
in your city and see if they're doing improv because it's highly likely that they do or may or they would certainly know of uh, improv going on in your your particular town city another way is to use the meetups groups so meetups is an online forum it's good all over the all over the country put in your area code or your city and you can search for uh, improv classes Right now, there is just a huge burgeoning of online improv classes that are going on, and they're conducted via Zoom, and they're starting to pop up everywhere. There's a local, I'm going to plug St. Louis here for a moment, but uh, if you are on the Meetups website and search for online improv comedy classes in St. Louis, you would see connection to an online uh, improv class that I'm part of. I mentioned looking at local local theater groups or web pages. Those are really good spots. Or you could, you know, you could read some books. I think Nicole or, or Stephanie, you mentioned reading uh, a book about the Bossy Pants with Tina Fey. There are several books available, many books on improv, but there are three uh, key books that will really give you a good, uh, a good idea of what improv is and give you keys and exercises to practice. One in particular is a book called Truth in Comedy by Charna Halpern. So book two, Improvisation for the Theater. This is written by Viola Spolin. And Viola Spolin is considered by many to be you know, a key component of like a leader, innovator in improv theater teaching. It goes way back. So that is a book I highly recommend. And book number three that I would recommend is called Impro. That's I-M-P-R-O improvisation and the theater by keith johnstone these are three seminal books on improvisation that i'd recommend so that's another avenue i'll make this offer to your listeners if there's anyone out there that would like to be pointed help pointed in a direction for some uh, improv via online like zoom they could certainly email me if you know if if that's appropriate and i will with interest email me with your interest and we'll get you uh, plugged in to, uh, to an online improv group and you can kind of see how it goes. It's really interesting when you do a Zoom session in improv and it's, it's like we're all just kind of discovering this and it can be truly effective when you can see each other in grids and you're actually conducting exercises with each other. I would have to say it's the next best thing to being <laughs> in person. It actually sounds more awkward to do it on Zoom. I don't know. That might just be me, but that might make it better in a way. I don't know. Like more of a learning experience, I guess. I always feel super awkward on Zoom. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, we all we all kind of do. <laughs> but that's a that's a that's a shared uncomfortable <laughs> awkwardness that we experience. But when you're in the comfort of your own home, our own room, there is some safety in that. Like I'm here at home. That's true. And I know that everyone else in here is in their homes. And it's just a weird way. But it, it truly within just within a few minutes, you feel this interesting connection to people like people that you've just met. Hey, I'm making Mary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hey, how are you doing? I mean, it's just a really neat way to bring us bring us together in these times. Yeah, I think that's great, though, like, especially given this telehealth move that we're kind of being pushed into uh, more rapidly than we anticipated. But I think, you know, practicing improv online is a great way to just practice for things like connecting with people via the Internet. As far as getting in touch with you, John, 
We can put your email in our show notes. And then sometimes what we have folks do is just have them email us and then we will pass along the email to our guest just because well, that way our guests don't always get inundated with questions. We kind of filter them. Absolutely. <laughs> but <laughs> otherwise we can put your, your email in the show notes as well so folks can find you. Okay, great. That'd be great. Thank you. So Jonathan, I know that we had talked a lot about exercises. I can't remember if we mentioned much about just at the individual level. I know you mentioned some that, you know, would require to practice with another person. Do you have any more tips on, you know, as an individual listener, how maybe they could work on it by themselves? Well, I would go back to that challenge, which was a fun challenge, but yet you could take it seriously and just your own interaction with with someone. So whether you're going to the doctor or you know, you're interfacing with someone in the store or again, your, you know, your significant other or even a child, but really try to use yes and because that's the most simple way to, to start practicing it. And if you can twist and start using yes and, you'll start to see that you build different conversations and you'll see the different outcomes that you never would have dreamed that were there. And people, you're, it will really affect your relationship because when you start using yes and, the people you're interfacing with don't even really understand what you just did. They just know that they feel more valued and that you actually listened and appreciate what they said. And so it's just going to naturally lead to better, better interactions. So yes anding is something you can do. I would say that Mirroring is interesting because you usually do that with another person, but I would even go so far as to say one person could go look at yourself in the mirror. Now this, it may feel awkward. You're looking at yourself in the mirror and just pretend like your reflection is another person. This is exactly how mirroring would go and you could raise your hand up and you'll, you'll feel weird. You know, it'll feel odd, but that focus that you have on yourself is the same focus and the same attention you should apply to another person. So I would even say that that's a good exercise to do by yourself. Perfect. Thank you. So, John, I would personally like to thank you so much for your time and commitment to advancing sexual and reproductive health through communication. Do you have any last thoughts you would like to add before we end? Well, I want to, again, thank you both, Stephanie and Nicole, for allowing me to, to come on and talk and really share a passion of mine. And I, I truly hope that it resonates with at least one person out there. <laughs> but I mean, these are these communication concepts are tools I believe in. Um, I'm very passionate about. Uh, I love uh, improvisation. And what I also love about improv is seeing people who are, I'm going to say that are introverts who would never dream of doing such a thing, but seeing them as we move through exercises actually come out and, you know, they are able to perform or, or connect in ways that never thought that that was possible. And really that is such a joy to see. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And as always, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. We are always looking for new supporters, sponsors, and guests. So if you'd like to be on our show or know someone who you think would be perfect, let us know. You can find more information on how to support us and contact us on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. <laughs>